Fit and Theater of the Words presents The Reprehensibles, The Fight for Earth's Future. Episode 14, Behind the Greeny Barrier. The orange sun set in the thickening haze of the greeny camps along the Seventh River. Under constant guard, Maria Almonte was strapped to a high-backed chair attached to a rigid sheet of black zambium and a faded yellow stripe split the sheet in half. Since morning, they had brought her to the river's edge. She had been exposed to the sun as it passed through the openings in the dark clouds. Deprived of the cleaner's screening lotion and humiliated into drinking cup after cup of the grimy water, she knew what was happening to her body. Her tissues were becoming saturated with the river chemical compounds, and when the ultraviolet rays hit her skin, certain pigment agents would be stimulated. In a short while, her fair skin would be altered to the slimy green hue of her captors. Cold, lonely, and hungry, she gazed across the brown waters to the hundreds of tents lining the river's far side. The inside fires were burning brighter now as the air grew colder. She turned to the female guard, Catherine Alson. How long will this go on? She asked loudly. Told you I have many times. Things to come. We will not discuss, said the woman with the weather-beaten face and the long blonde hair. The rest haven't talked to me. Why do you even bother? Civil I be. What do the greenies know about being civil? You people dragged me in here. You forced me to become one of you. Juicing it is not mine. Law it is, said Katrina as she looked toward the nearest tents. Several fur-laden greenies were headed down the hill to the riverbank. Speak no more, I can. Well, maybe I can get something out of them. No, no, cautioned Katrina as they approached. Please, bring me inside. I need food. I'm cold, said Maria. The men were unresponsive as she pleaded and picked up the corners of a black sheet with their massive callous hands. In seconds, she was hoisted into the air and they hurried back to the densely packed tents. Please, at least give me some proto-food, anything, she yelled. Where are you taking me? There were no answers to her questions. They trekked along the well-trodden trails through the tent area. The tents were deep for the most part, closely knit Zambian fibers, specially treated with aluminum strands and interlaced throughout. They had been dropped, usually every month, by the quadrant air jets with sacks of food, fire, and fire pellets. The Greenies were dependent on the quadrant in order to survive. To an outsider, the name Greenie had always conjured up an image of stark terror. Maria had tried to cooperate, despite her initial misgivings. However, their language, their customs, and their manner of speech were just too much for her to take. The new image she was forming was even more hateful, more despising than she had envisioned when she was on the outside. Tell me, where are you taking me? She continued as they stopped outside the entrance to the largest thermal tent in the area. The flap was open and the bright firelight blinded her momentarily. She could feel the soothing heat as they carried the black sheet into the room. There must have been a hundred people dressed in greeny furs and sitting around the blazing fire in the center of the tent. She looked to the top of the tent as the smoke rose up through the hole and into the darkened sky. But it was the people staring at her that really fractured what was left of her sanity. What are you people looking at? She cried vehemently. Haven't you ever seen an outsider? The men carried her high above the people along the wall of the thermal tent 
to prepared space on the right side. Climbing the stairs, they set the sheet on the floor of a high platform next to a thin table. They returned to the anonymity of a large, well-built man with gray hair as he walked slowly to the top of the platform. In his hands was a silver tray with Maria's computer card. Once on top, he set the tray on the table and turned to his people. Raising his hands to his forehead in the traditional eternalist pose, his voice bellowed throughout the tent. Eternalism! Eternal to be! Eternal praise to be! Eternal praise to be! They returned and raised their hands up the same way. The man took a deep breath through his nostrils as if he were absorbing some heavenly vibrations. I am the reporter. I am the word of the eternal one. The prophet, the prophet he is. Begin, let us begin the ceremony, he said as Maria watched his movements with great intensity. He picked up a small container, extracting a few drops from the transparent and oddly smelling liquid. He spread it over her computer card and held it in the air. Life blood, he said clearly as he removed a long match from his pocket. He struck it against the table, lighting it and igniting the flame substance on the card. The thin card melted into a glob of contorted zambium with the usual odor. The flame flickered, and all that remained of the inputs of her life was a cooled mass of zambium. Mathuane took a strand of string from his pocket and attached it to both sides of the melted card. His bloodshot eyes opened wide as he picked up his necklace of sorts and placed it around Maria's neck. He turned to the people and spoke again. The machine! It has been destroyed, he proclaimed as the people rose to their feet, shouting wildly. He motioned for them to be still. Triumph! Man has finally the slaves he will not be again. The master he is. Eternal is the word. Return he will again. They raised their hands up once again, this time in silent meditation as the room was still except for the crackling fire. Twelve hours she has. Twelve hours we will know if she will be green or if she dies. Maria had been quite restrained up to his last words. Having her life on the line was something else. She struggled to free herself from the harness, but it only grew tighter. You're saying I only have twelve hours to live? To become like you? Or I die? She yelled at Matthewane. The long-haired man spread his hands over the group as a, as a signal for them to leave, and they filed from the tent, one by one, and then he turned to Maria. Still you will be green if you do not become. The river shall be cast upon you in a flaming, in a flaming boat you will die slowly, he said as he raised his hands. Praise the eternal one, praise to, praise to be the eternal one. With the final gesture, he descended the stairs. You can't leave me. I've done nothing wrong. Let me go, he shouted as the room became empty and soon the fire began to dim. She sobbed openly, shaking her head as she called for help over and over again. Only the red embers remained in the fire pit, giving off sufficient heat as the night wore on. There was no way Maria could sleep with her every thought, centered around a fiery death. She now branded the Greenies as ruthless and uncivilized to rely on such a method of determining membership to their community. 
She knew there was no escape. Several greeny men stood near the entrance to the thermal tent as she was still strapped to the chair. Her only hope lay in the desecration of her own appearance, which, in her ultimate despair, she had hoped for with all her strength. Twenty-four hours before, the very thought of being like them would have turned her stomach. But now she kept looking at her skin in the dim amber light, trying to convince herself that it had changed color. A rippling noise from the back of the platform suddenly caught her attention and she looked to her right. Someone had pierced a knife through the fabric of the thermal tent and a figure in dark furs ran to the platform and up the stairs. Maria opened her mouth to speak to the figure. It was Katrina. Katrina put her hand over Maria's mouth. She shook her head, gesturing for Maria to remain silent and with her sharp knife she slashed through the straps as the men started to talk outside the flap. In one jump she landed behind the chair as the two guards stuck their head inside the tent. They looked around for a few seconds and finally shut the flap. Katrina popped from behind the chair and grasped Maria's wrist with a frightening grip, leading her quietly down the stairs. She stuck her head through the gash in the tent, still holding Maria's wrist as she pulled her through to the outside. The air was cold and Katrina wasted no time in getting Maria as far away from the tent as possible. They ran to one of the wider roads, but it was not until they had gone some distance that she let go of Maria's wrist. I must bring you to the basement ruins. You will have to run quickly for they... You're not a greenie. You talk like an outsider, said the astonished Maria. Yes, I was like you, Maria, an outsider, sent in here alone for high crimes. But now we must talk no more. Down this road, come to the basement. What is in the basement? asked Maria as they ran down the road. A splitter. I know a woman who has taken one of these splitters. She too was an outsider for, for many years before I was sent in here, said Katrina as they ran past hundreds of tents on the road. But why did we shall talk no more until we get to the basement ruins? After five or six kilometers of running, Maria was tired, and the last ten minutes had been over rolling hills. She called ahead to Katrina and stopped to rest on the side of the road. Katrina ran back to her, shaking her head as she ran. Maria, you have to run! Word has spread by now! It's only another mile, please! Mile? 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 A measurement of distance, right? exclaimed Maria as if she had unlocked the key to the universe. An ancient measurement, she said as Maria got to her feet. A little over one one-half kilometers. As they came closer to the end of that mile, the tent suddenly ended at the edge of shells of about 20 buildings. The remains looked as if they had been bombed to near rubble. But in what age had they toppled the former facade? What is this? asked Maria as the clouds broke temporarily and the full moon heightened the ruins. I'm not quite sure. All I know, it once existed as a living area. Hurry, said Katrina as she ran to her right through the rusted steel frame of a former doorway or window. They leaped over the dirt-covered bricks and the rotting girders inside, finally coming to an incline which led below the earth. Down here, Maria, she said as she took her hand, and they descended into the dark. I, I can't see, said Maria, into the musty air. What is this? It leads 300 feet into the rooms, 
She pulled Maria through the earth tunnel, feeling the sides with her other hand. After what seemed like hours, they came to a single door with a light from inside torches providing a frame around the casting. Katrina pounded on the metal doors in repeated patterns, and the door opened wide. A short, aging man with square spectacles stood in the flickering torchlight. You must hurry, Katrina. You must hurry, he said as they ran by him to a flight of stairs, lighted occasionally by one of the torches. The plaster on the walls was flaking with the original paint long since replaced by rotting mildew. As they went deeper into the earth, the number of torches increased dramatically, and they could see the bottom of the stairs. Katrina had gone ahead, but Maria had stopped to run her fingers over the jagged remains of the light socket on the staircase wall. Maria, you want to get out, don't you? yelled Katrina from the bottom. Maria looked at the socket one more time and then ran to the stairs. Katrina opened another rusted steel door with the words basement handwritten into the rust. Inside was a tiled floor with a lobby of some kind stripped away from any furniture and the paint and the paint on the walls had been blistered off eons before. They walked quickly by what might have been an elevator shaft but was now just two openings in the wall filled with rubble from above. And between the doors were strange writings on the wall. What is this place? I don't understand, complained Maria as she studied the writing. Katrina looked back and was caught by what was happening to Maria's skin. It was only subtle, but the skin was a very light shade of green. What's the matter? Is something wrong here? demanded Maria. Nothing, said Katrina. This is supposed to be the bottom of a building from long ago. The earth had been taken over. We entered what used to be the twelfth level. They call them stories. Gargana will know more. Come on, follow me. They ran through the two openings on the right. It was darker inside as they went down the incline of an ancient auditorium where the seats had now been replaced by heaps of decaying junk. There were front ends of ancient automobiles, broken chairs, hubcaps, old appliances that were almost unidentifiable, and crushed plastic. There were containers with no labels, lamp bases, and crushed glass and mounds of dirt. The head was a stage, relatively clear except for the solitary figure of what must have been Gilgana. Her demonic eyes were enough to send shivers down Maria's spine even at that distance. As they got closer, she could see the deep wrinkles on the green face in her long, stiff white hair. As she spoke, it was in a crackly voice like that of a witch. Katrina Elsa, she said as they leaped to the stairs. A crushed, semi-circular desk was the only furniture on the stage with the map of the former United States of America, which had fallen into the dust. I must go. Gilgenau will bring you to the barrier passageway. Maria looked over at Katrina with a bleak expression. She ran over and hugged her. Katrina, you must come with me. I cannot. I was sent here. You are not. You still have identity. I have none. With no identity, they would send me back here and I would face death for escaping. I have helped you get back outside, Maria, and I am happy. Goodbye, Maria, she said as she turned to leave. Katrina, what was your crime? Katrina took a deep breath and looked with her dark eyes at Maria. My crime, Maria, was that I had conceived children outside of the birth ranks. 
With that, she turned, and this time she ran into the aisle, disappearing to the lobby above. We must take no more chances, said Gilganar as she moved her feeble frame around the broken desk. Maria stared down at the map on the floor, divided into configurations she could not understand. You put your life and mine at risk. That map, it's divided into strange quadrants, remarked Maria as she followed Gilganar down the torchline corridor. You question which can only hurt you once you are on the outside. Forget about what you have seen in here, she said as they stopped in front of a vault type of door. Gilganar twisted the dial as Maria watched and helped her pull the heavy door open. They shut the vault door to a mere crack and headed up the next passageway. It wound around in a circular fashion, growing brighter as they approached the barrier. It was at this time that Gilganar handed Maria a pyramid splitter. Is the barrier around here? asked Maria. Yes, it is around there. This will allow you to pass to the outside. You only have to push this blue sensor to open the field and the red one to close it. I don't know what to say. Say nothing and be off, said the woman, motioning her away. But I have to know, what is this place? The old woman's eyes glowed green. They tell us we must hear the words of the Eternal One in collapsible memories of computerized printouts and tactical electronic wizards in the nighttime, sparkling of guardian premises, sunken present below the bleeding columns of the good. For the good, so they say, the splendid gold signals distorted by blind beliefs of technocratic wonder, the systems are warped, Fading in a gasoline fury of fire, diminished now in the frozen blood cold. Dollars! They have hung themselves with their own dollars. Learn the word of the Eternal One and you will be saved, she said as her face returned to normal. Now go! Maria turned and ran around the corner as the light grew brighter. In front of her now was the white glare of the barrier. She rushed up to the edge and fumbled with the splitter. The fields and the barrier began to rumble like surging water. Carefully but quickly, she put her hand inside, and then she noticed the inescapable fact that her arms were tinted to a light shade of green. All at once, the idea of stepping through the barrier to the outside was an option, not a necessity. No! No! She screamed. She rubbed her wrists as if the action would somehow resolve the color. No! No! She cried as she stumbled back into the corridor in tears. How could she face her family and what of the authorities? With her computer card melted and around her neck, she could not be convincing to them. There was even a good possibility they would blast her as she stepped to the outside. She kept staring at the color of her hands, feeling an incredulous shock at the sight. Any indecision was quickly discarded when she heard footsteps coming down the corridor from the auditorium. She looked up from her self-pity and, and leaped into the open barrier, running as fast as she could. The sound of the footsteps was replaced by a thundering field within the barrier. She covered the distance in less than a minute, emerging from the barrier a few feet into the air. She slid onto the Zambium in the early shadows of daybreak. Unaffected by the fall, she adeptly sprang to her feet and shut down the splitter. The barrier assumed its smooth edge once again, and she turned toward advancing militiamen. 
Before they could reach her, she was speaking loudly and as rationally as she could. My name is Maria Almonte. I'm being chased by the Greenies. I need your assistance. Give me that splitter, Greenie, ordered the arrogant sergeant as he stuck his blaster into her side. She dare not make even the slightest defiant move as she handed it to him. Who gave this to you, Greenie? My name is Maria Almonte. I live in A-98. I am not a Greenie, she yelled at him, breaking under the strain of his arrogance. Your skin is green, he snarled at her. Maria had taken enough torment and stress over the last few hours. Rational thinking did not matter to her at that moment. I live at T-25, A-98. They captured me almost two days ago and I escaped. Here's what they did to my car. They melted it. How do we know? I don't know what you know, she said to him. I demand to see your colonel right now. What T is this? This is T-22. You will come with us, said the sergeant. They led her down the road, along the barrier, about two kilometers to the end of S-11 and T-22. Maria related her story to a Colonel Cunningham. He was impressed by her persistent attitude, and his first course of action was to have the computer scan all circuits. When Maria's three-dimensional image appeared on the screen, Cunningham turned around with his hands on his chest. Are you satisfied now, Colonel? asked Maria as she approached him. You seem to have been through a lot. What can we do for you? One, you can start by getting this green off my skin, she said, opening her eyes as they spoke. And you don't know, said Cunningham. Don't know what, she asked. I'm sorry. Once the green goes in, he said, shaking his head. She raised both her hands to her face, covering it in shame as she screamed loudly. The thought of being green for the rest of her life was almost unbearable. How could she tell her family, her friends, and everyone she knew? I will call your family. They can accompany you back. No! Just what are you going to do? You can't stay here. I want a new identity card, she said as the tears stopped. We already have made that request. It should be coming through now. And Maria, I'd advise you to return to T25. Your color is not that severe. How do you know how severe it is? How do you know how I feel? Despicable and humiliated. The militiamen entered the room with her new card. Maria grabbed the card. I can take it, or is this against the rules? You can take it, said Cunningham. Good, then I'm leaving now. Then she stormed out of the room. Shall I call her family, Colonel? No, I don't think we will. If she's going to have this skin problem, then she's going to have to be the one who solves it. Join us next week for another exciting episode of The Reprehensibles, The Fight for Earth's Future by Robert P. Fitton. Presented by Fitton Theater of the Word.